What's up, folks? Thank you for tuning in to the Progression Project Podcast. I am your host, Eric Antonson. This is another Foiling Series episode, and today's guest on the show is Annie Reichert. You know her as Annie Star on Instagram, and if you don't follow, you should. Annie is based out of Maui, and I had a very similar feeling in recording this podcast and then listening to it again as when I recorded with Kai Lenny, a paddle surfing podcast, probably four or five years ago. Um, Her focus and her passion for the sport and her trajectory, I think, will be similar. I think that when we look back on this show in four or five years, you're going to see glimpses of what she's going to accomplish. I think it's going to be incredible to watch. You guys are going to love the show. Um, it's a deep dive into foiling with a side conversation about big wave surfing. Um, and last year she surfed in the Jaws event on the big wave world tour and did fantastic. She talks about a, a heavy wipeout that she took during, uh, that event. Um, and then her, her, um, passion for big waves and training for big waves. So I got a lot out of that as well. Um, I was, I love it when I jump into these conversations and and I love these conversations doing a podcast. People ask me why I do it all the time, um, because I don't charge for advertising and I don't, um, it's just, you know, a passion project for me. And it takes, you know, it's a few hours every week. And the reason I do it and the reason why I continue to do it is because, um, it's inspiring to me. It's, um, it's awesome to talk to people about what they are most passionate about and that fuels my passions. And I hope that does that for you too. And and this desire to learn. Um, so I think you guys are going to love this show with Annie and I appreciate y'all tuning in, but before we jump in, I, um, I have sad news. One of my favorite interviews that I have ever done and someone who has been incredibly influential in my last four or five years of the way I approach things. Um, Anders Ericsson, the author of Peak, the um, scientist researcher who did the work behind Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers, the 10,000 Hours, that book was based on Anders' work, uh, passed away last week. And, you know, it hit me harder than I thought it would. Um, just because, I mean, that conversation was so great and he was so passionate also about what he has done. And I want to just talk a little bit about what I think Anders has given us. And it's a, it's a beautiful message. And, and what that is, is that growing up, I think that there's a framing of outliers and, and folks who have achieved to the highest level being innately talented being somehow born better than the rest of us in, um, in, in, in talent or physicality. And what Anders' work showed is that it's really about the process and about the work. I, I know that innate talent does factor in at some level and your the body, and he says this in the interview also, it's like if you're born... Five five, you're probably not going to play in the NBA. If you're born six ten, you're probably not going to be a gymnast. But outside of some hugely limiting physical factors, we kind of all have the same opportunity to get better at things, and that's a very hopeful message. Um, and the way that he lays out the process of mastery uh, is, hey Moko, I got my pup coming over to say hi. Um, the way that that he lays over he lays out the the, the process of mastery and gives steps through um, visualization um, and creating. Uh, damn it, Mocha, you messed me up, Mocha. I had this beautiful train of thought, and then you came over here. It's got this beautiful pup that we've been working together, and you know, actually, and it's it's a good sidebar because. Right now, Mocha is a seven-month-old Belgian Shepherd, and I've, I've worked dogs for about the last 10 years. And, and now she's got her, she's breathing right in the mic. Okay, Mocha, go plutz. Go plutz. So in working dogs, you see yeah, on a very condensed scale, 
how people get good at things and how, you know, and Mocha the same way gets good at things. Good girl. Um, and it is about repetition. It is about creating the right conditions to learn in, um, having a feedback loop, being able to assess where you're at and then make adjustments and practice. And it's not as fun as just going out and having fun. You know, living in Costa Rica for, you know, 11 years and watching the same group of folks, there were certain people that never got any better at surfing over 11 years. And, and maybe they're having a ton of fun, but they found their zone and they stayed in it and they never pushed their, they never pushed their boundaries. And then there are other folks who every day, it's the guys who fall more. It's the guys who are always pushing the limits. Um, progress at a much better rate than the others. Uh, and Anders' work embodies that. Um, the way that he showcases how deliberate practice, how mental representations, how creating a feedback loop um, work together to create a better skill set. And the better you get, the better you get at practice, the better that you can get at your sport. And so someone like Annie Reichert embodies that, Akai Lenny embodies that. Um, everyone who are, who's pushing these sports on some level, consciously or unconsciously, are using the same um, steps that Anders lays out in the book Peak. And if you haven't read the book, read it. Uh, if you didn't listen to the interview with Anders Erickson, go back and listen to it. Because it's one of the, my favorite conversations I've ever had, and I was deeply saddened to hear of his passing um, this week. But uh, just wanted to just wanted to say that that's a it changed the way that I approach learning. Um, and I think that it would have a positive impact for anyone listening to this. And I apologize that Mocha came over here and ruined my train of thought. I don't take notes for these things. I just kind of ad lib them. Um, so when someone walks in, sometimes I get a little sidetracked, but Mocha's a good girl. I ain't, I ain't mad at you. All right, you guys enjoy the podcast, the conversation with Annie Reichert. Go back and listen to the Anders Erickson show if you haven't. I believe that's episode three or four um, on this podcast, on the Progression Project podcast. And uh, thank you for tuning in. Hit me with feedback, questions, comments. I love it. And uh, have fun. Annie, thank you for coming on the podcast. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. Good. I'm stoked that you came on, too. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. So, um, killer. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I know I've gotten to listen to a couple of these, and they're always super fun. And it's always cool to get to hear all the different people from around the world um, who love foiling. Um, yeah. Surfing, all learning, all this stuff. Um, to start off with, I don't know much about your background, and I doubt that many folks do other than watching you on Instagram, Surf Jaws and Downwind Foil with <laughs> Kai and Cody and Jeffrey and all those guys. Um, why yeah. don't you give us some some background about who you are and how you got into surfing and all that fun stuff? Yeah, well, I was born and raised on Maui. Um, I think I've always been an outdoorsy kid. I love nature on and off the ocean. And then when I was about two or I think I was three years old, my parents took me surfing on the front of um, their board and I had like floaties on my arms. And that's kind of where I first fell in love with being in the water. It wasn't even surfing in general, it was just being in the ocean. And then from there I took surfing and, you know, through my childhood, I was never like super competitive with it, but I think I just loved it so much that it just naturally evolved into something that I did compete in. And then I discovered stand up paddling when I was around 12 years old. And from there I kind of started to like, try all sorts of different sports, not just surfing. And yeah, I eventually started competing in stand-up paddle surfing and then it evolved to stand-up paddle racing. And then um, in the past like three or four years, I've really branched out into the foiling side of things and then kind of experimenting with the big wave stuff. And so, yeah, it was just kind of a natural evolution. I think especially being here on Maui, it's such a natural progression because I, first of all, have all these amazing people to look up to like the Kais and the Robbie Nash and Dave Kalamas and Paige Alms. And then also, at the same time, I think I'm a product of my environment in a way because there's wind, waves, and just everything imaginable at your fingertips here. So it was kind of, you know, I either had to deal with it and find a sport that fit for the conditions or I just wouldn't get in the water at all. 
when was your first exposure to foiling? I, I followed your career through stand-up. I, I used to do a podcast and stand-up and you know, did some stuff in the sport there for a while. And so I knew who you were back then. That was probably four or five years ago. Um, yeah. When did you start transitioning into foiling? Yeah. So I think, I don't know the exact year I could figure it out. I think it was about probably like the first time I got on a foil was about three or four years ago. Um, and I was like, right when it came out and I was watching Kai do it. Um, and, you know, I looked at the videos and I was like, that's amazing. But I was like, I don't know if I'll ever be able to do that just because, you know, Kai's Kai and he makes everything look so easy. But at the same time, I know it's not. And then I had my two really good friends, Jeffrey and Finn, get into it with Kai. Um, and I would go surfing and longboarding and then they would be foiling. And I'd be like, that looks really fun. Like it turns these small, mushy waves into something that's just so fun and accessible. Um, and so I think the first time I ever got on a foil was at, um, it was on the west side of Maui, like really small waves. No one was out. It was just me and them. And I got on Jeffrey's SUP foil board uh, and I tried it. And I remember him telling me, you know, like the first thing that anyone ever says when you're learning to foil is like, go with the foil and don't fall on top of it. And that hurts. I'm like, I don't know what that means. Like it's such a foreign feeling when you're first getting into it. And so, yeah, I tried it for the first time, automatically landed on the foil, bruised my ribs. But <laughs> I had like a couple seconds worth of like glide. And I just remember like feeling like, wow, that's amazing. And at the time I was sponsored by Nash. And so they were just starting to develop foils with Kai. Um, and so I got one from them and it didn't, it took, I must admit, it took me a couple months to like really get hooked. I think it was coming into winter when I was first trying it. And so I was so excited to surf bigger waves and just kind of, you know, not go find the worst waves I could find, but to go find the best waves I could find. And yeah, so it wasn't like an automatic, like, oh my God, this is the best thing I've ever done. But after I got that like final, like, wow, this is really fun. Like that glide for minutes on end, that's when I really got hooked. That's when I was like, you know what, this is something I love. This is something I'll never be able to go without. And yeah, I think it was like over a two month period. And then at the end of that, I was like, okay, this is awesome. I want to get good at this and really see what I can do with it. Do you remember a specific moment or feeling that was so different from surfing that that it kind of set the hook yeah for sure I think it was actually it was Christmas Eve I believe and there was I was um foiling not stop foiling which is what I first started doing because I think that was what kind of everyone was like you know that's what Jeffrey and Finn and Kai were doing um but it was the first time I was ever on a prone foil board and I went out with my good friend Paige Alms who's a big wave master um and I'd never tried a prone board before so I was a little bit hesitant I didn't know what to expect and it was in the Kahului Harbor on Maui. And I remember this one wave and it's so nice when you go from a huge board on a foil to something so much smaller, because it really feels like you're just standing on water with nothing underneath you. Um, and so I did that and I got this one wave. I remember it was like my last wave of the session and I was having fun. I got a couple rides, a couple close calls, yada, yada, yada. And then I finally got this one where it's like, I got up, I did like a little turn. I just like glided perfectly. And that, I think that is probably in my mind, the most like distinguished place where I was like, wow, this is amazing. And just like the feeling of me getting hooked on flying above the water, which is pretty much what it is. And it's such a unique feeling from anything else. Like I hadn't foiled in the past. I hadn't windsurf foiled or kite foiled because those are popular things before surf foiling came kind of back into play. Um, I hadn't had that feeling. So it was such a new feeling for me that I just automatically got hooked after that. I think it was that one day, that one wave that really just like turned me onto it. I love that you said came back into play because I think only someone from Maui would say yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. No, I grew up watching um, Dave and Laird and Brett and those crazy guys at Jaws um, doing that. And when I first saw it, I was like, what is that thing? And I think it's the reaction a lot of people have now when they see foiling. Um, yeah, and I, it really was mesmerizing me for me to watch. But I was like, those waves are huge. They have boots on. It just it was so far out of my comfort zone. I never thought I would ever get to try it, let alone work on, you know, progressing the sport itself. And so, yeah, the fact that it came back and kind of, redefine itself and that Kai kind of helped do that. Um, it was really cool that, uh, yeah, that whole thing kind of happened, especially on Maui, getting to kind of watch it happen in front of me too. Now you were sponsored by Nash at the time. Were you watching the beginning of foiling round two, I guess you would say with Kai unfold, um, privately before the videos got dropped online? Were you seeing 
the evolution of, you know, the stand-up boards, the the race boards with with foils and all of that? Or was that pretty secret? I think a little bit of both. I think Kai definitely when he has something, a secret project, it, it's very under the wrap. But there were a couple days where he was talking about it with photographers and I was with them and I would hear stuff and I definitely knew something was happening and I knew kind of what was happening, but I didn't get a lot of inside scoop. I think he really wanted it to be like the great, uh, you know, reveal of the new, the new sport he'd kind of revamped. But I had an idea. I didn't get to try any of the foils he was testing out, like, you know, but I did kind of, I knew what he was getting up to and I was really excited to see what exactly he was going to come up with. Yeah. Well, I think everyone who listens to this podcast is incredibly grateful for that just because yeah. it's opened up so much of the ocean, you know? Yeah, I mean, exactly. Being an East Coast guy, you know, moving back from Central America was one of the most painful things I've ever done. And then you get to the East Coast and then foiling happens. You're like, wait a second, this is really good. Mm -hmm. um, so killer. Um would you recommend if someone um, is a stand-up surfer to start on a stand-up and foiling, or do you think that that's not a useful, I've always thought that that would be a good way for people to start if they're already in stand-up, and that's what I did. Mm -hmm. Would you still recommend that? I definitely think so. I think it has a lot to do with, yeah, like your background in the water sports you've done in the past. Right. If you have absolutely no experience in water sports, first of all, I think that makes it a lot harder to get into it, but still totally possible. And I think probably best to go on a surfboard just because it deals with a lot less balance just getting into the wave in general but yeah for me and I'm sure you yeah having a background in stand-up paddling I think it is the best way just because you don't have to deal with the initial pop-up of you know when you're getting on the wave and then you know popping up to your feet on the board I think that was always something that was a little intimidating for me because I didn't know exactly what the foil was going to do in that moment. Cause sometimes with the foil I was riding at the very beginning, it would like to like pop up out of the water before I was ready to really, you know, set my position and kind of ride the foil. And so when I was doing it on the stand up paddle board, you're already in that, you know, wave riding position where your feet are, you know, in the perfect place and your knees are bent. I think it's a lot easier to kind of get the feeling and more just be able to focus on riding the foil and not having to ride the board itself. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, for anybody who has a background in stand-up paddling and is comfortable on a sub surfboard, I think that's the perfect place to start because it's really a gentle kind of um, introduction to the sport versus like, you know, throwing yourself two new, two new things, which is, you know, not only getting on a small surfboard, but also on a foil. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, let's talk about your learning curve a little bit through mm -hmm. foiling and you have an extensive surfing uh and stand-up background were you into the wind sports at all as well you kite and i'm I'm, I'm learning how to kite and windsurf i'm not okay. good at either of them so let's say no <laughs> <laughs> kiting kiting sketchy uh, yeah it's so I'm much learning. i have i have some amazing friends who are so talented at it and it's a goal of mine but yeah i'm far from that right now <laughs> um we'll talk through your learning process a little bit and how the sport has unfolded and what you focused on at different places in the sport. So, you know, from riding waves to connecting waves and then um, exploring different wings, kind of just talk through your journey and I'm sure I'll have some questions through there. Yeah. So I think, yeah, when I first got into it, I was sponsored by Nash, as you mentioned, and they were kind of working with Kai and coming up with the newest, most innovative foil wings. And it was cool because I was, you know, I didn't have to actually like test or get my feedback or anything. They just kind of were like, here, this is what guys made. This is the newest and greatest. And I was like, perfect. And I think for a while I was just kind of happy with that. Just um, being on what was, you know, given to me, not really testing new stuff, just kind of going out there and having fun. And as I slowly progressed and I wanted to, you know, work on pumping back out, which was, I think, it, you know, there's always like a new thing I feel with foiling. Like it was the pumping back out to waves when Kai did it like 11 times, you know, with 11 waves. And then, and then I feel like it was the beach starts and now it's something else. But when I first started seeing all that stuff, I was like, wow, that's really cool. And, you know, I just felt like my equipment wasn't really letting me get to that next level where I was like, I, sometimes it's hard to know whether it's you and you're the person who kind of needs to make the shift in your mind and physically feel out what's going on. So you can, you know, reach that next level of performance, or if it's your equipment that's holding you back. And so it took me a while, but I kind of came to the conclusion. I was like, yeah, you know, I don't think this is really working for me. So I talked to Nash and I got some other equipment. I got some bigger wings. I got some different stuff. Um, and that really helped me progress. I think it showed me that just how important equipment was in foiling. Cause I think in surfing and all the other sports, you do know that, but at the same time with something that you're so like, you know, it's, 
so unknown for me. I was like, yeah, it doesn't matter. You know, I'm a beginner at this. I just need a foil. doesn't really matter what kind. So when I really discovered that, you know, yeah, kind of, you know, an obvious conclusion, just how important that is. It really made a big difference for me because I was super into just kind of trying everything I could get my hands on and seeing exactly what was out there. And that's when I kind of discovered how amazing some of the other foils on the market were out there. And that's when I really started to progress because I was just so excited to um, try different things. And then around this point, I hate, to, I hate to interrupt here, but, but I think this would yeah. be something that would be valuable. Can you talk about some of the other foils? I'm a big believer that gear teaches you. And Definitely. can you talk about some of the other foils that you felt and maybe what, un, what unveiled, un, unveiled itself to you during, during those different um, experiences? Yeah. Well, I think at the very beginning, I tried a lift foil. Um, and that at the time was a really, you know, it was a really kind of progressive wing. And I think for me versus what I was riding, it was so maneuverable and turny. It felt just, it, it was amazing. Cause I think, yeah, the reason everyone gets into it is for that rush and that love of it and the feeling of like gliding and the perfect, you know, perfect feeling of flying. And I found that a lot more in the lift foil. I found that um, not only did it not want to like buck you off the wave and buck you off the foil, which is kind of what I was dealing with on the Nash foil a little bit more, but it really lets you control and it lets you glide and also turn. Cause I think that's at that point where the sport was, you know, trying to like figure out exactly how to make the perfect wing that could keep you up and going. And then also could let you turn and maneuver it a bit more. And um, yeah, so the lift foil was my first one. That I was really like, wow, you know, this is something that I know is a lot better than what I'm on right now. And then a little bit farther down the road, um, this was after Kai left Nash. I was testing um, some of the foils that he was making with the Hydrofoil Company, an MFC. Um, and those were incredible. It was crazy to feel the difference between what I was on and that. Uh, it was literally, in my opinion, like people were asking me, like, yeah, how's it feel? I'm like, it's really hard to compare the two because it felt like a different sport for me. It felt just so much more high performance um, that it was hard to even, you know, talk about the two in the same kind of uh, same situation just because I got on and it was like relearning foiling almost for me, just because I went from being on something that just kind of wanted to go straight and just stay up at the same amount of like speed and lift and then getting on the MFC, which is just so unbelievably maneuverable and turning it. It's how most of the foils are, but I think this was my first experience really getting on something that was a little bit more high performance. It was amazing. Cause you know, I felt like I was doing cutbacks on a foil, which was never something I had in my, um, had in my mind. And so that was really when I realized like just how, yeah, like, like you said, just how much performance can or equipment can teach you um, just as much as it conditions or yourself can teach you that kind of stuff. Yeah. I love the MFC foils. When I first got the MFC, I, I got the 1250 first and in mm -hmm. Florida, you know, there's not a lot of swell energy here and I'm a little bit bigger yeah. and there's not a lot of profile to those foils. There's not a lot of lift compared to what I was riding. And so I had a difficult time pumping. I loved it in the pocket, but then it was hard to pump out. And now it's just, it's this foil that has continued to get better as I've gotten better. Most gear you get. And then as you get better, you start um, outgrowing your gear. Mm -hmm. And what I've liked about the MFC stuff, I actually just got the 1600 a couple of weeks ago is, oh, perfect. Uh, yeah, I've got the 16, 14 and 1250 now. And the better I get, the more I like those foils. And so mm -hmm. I, I think that's just really cool. But I do think they're maybe catered tailored towards better foilers they're not like a yeah. beginner you don't want that you don't want that to be your first foil i agree yeah i think yeah it can be a little hard because I've, I've actually i've tried i've tried to teach someone on an mfc foil and um they got it but it's definitely a lot harder i think it's a lot harder to wrap your head around what's happening versus something just wanting to pop up and go straight versus something really wanting to turn and you know it's just it's a completely different balancing act than what a little bit more basic foil will give you. Which ones do you ride and do you shim? And um, kind of break it down. I I have quite a variety of the MFC, the hydros pretty much. Um, starting from an 1,000, all the way, I have an 1,000, 1075, 1250, 1400, and 1600. Those are kind of my five like go-tos that I like to use in all sorts of different conditions. Um, mm -hmm. I use the 1,000 when I'm winging. Uh, that's actually, it's not even really sold as a sub or, you know, surf foil, it's, it's really good for towing. And then it's really good for winging. I pretty much only use it for those two things. Uh, and I use that with the red shim. And then I, my go-to is the red, the zero, the red is actually the most lift. Okay, so it goes the red, the most okay. lift, 
black is a little bit and then the white is neutral okay um and then i think from there the next one up is a 1075 wing uh and that is my go-to wing foil and then my go-to surf foil too i can take it in you know tiny little ankle high rollers and pump back out no problem and Usually I go with either the black or the red shim for that one, depending on the conditions. If it's a little bit smaller and I want to be able to pump back out, I'll put the red shim on there so I can have a little bit easier time. Or if I'm going for speed. You can pump easier with more shim? Um, I think it depends. I think usually I can if I'm feeling a little bit more lazy, but I also think it does impact your speed a little bit more. It slows you down um, a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I think it gives you more lift. So initially you have a little bit easier time, but at the same time, if you're trying to pump really far back out, eventually you're going to just lose so much speed that I think it's going to be a lot harder to stay up. So I think it depends not only on your style of riding, but also the conditions you want to use it in. Um, and then you on the 58 yeah. fuse. Yeah. Well, yeah. actually I have a couple different ones. I have a 58 and then I have a longer one and I believe I have a shorter one, but okay. the 58 is my perfect i think it's the best one for me because that it is so turny compared to the little bit bigger one and a little bit smaller just you know it can be a little bit much to handle sometimes and then so from there i have the one up which is the 1250 which this one's a kind of the middle ground i'll either use it if the surf is super small and i just kind of want to go out and have fun and pump around or um this is where the downwind foiling comes into play if the downwinding is really good here on maui i'll use the 1250 um and that's amazing because it really feels like you're surfing an endless bump. I think a lot of the down, this is, you know, a totally different talk, but I think a lot of the downwind foils that people use now are so high aspect and they turn a little bit, but not to the, you know, I think it's all about going straight and racing, which is, mm-hmm. you know, it's, that's kind of where it's evolving towards, but sometimes fun to take a little bit smaller foil, but also something that has the turning radius of the hydros. And yeah, it feels like you're surfing Kelly Slater wave pool, except you're foiling down the coast, which is really cool. And then, um, after that, usually with that one, I'll use a black shim. Okay. Um, I rarely use the white shim, which is the neutral one. I usually go either the little bit of lift or the full red shim lift. Um, then after that, I have the 1400 wing, uh, which is, for me, I it's my go-to downwind wing um, when I'm not testing some high aspect stuff, when I'm just you know going out to cruise down the coast. It's what I used for M2O last year. Uh, it's uh, I usually go with the black shim or the white shim for that one. My I use the white shim in M2O. I think once again, like you said, like a little bit more shim, it does give you more lift, but at the same time you are sacrificing speed. So it depends on the conditions you want to go. If there's something you're trying to keep up with, or if there's really fast paced wave or bumps, you want to have a little bit smaller shim. So you have that a little bit more speed. And so for me being a little bit lighter, I can use that smaller shim without having any trouble. So that's what I go to. And then like I actually, I haven't tried the 1600 that much. Usually for me, if it's anything, if the waves are really smaller, I'm going to go flat water pumping, I'll use the 14. But, um, I think I've used the 16 to flat water foil and like go in the waves just once or twice just to try it, but I haven't really experimented with it that much. So yeah, it'll be cool to kind of mess with that a little bit more. Can I ask a, a rude question that everyone's going to hope that I ask and that is what you weigh because that matters for foiling. Yeah, I don't care. Um, I, weigh, <laughs> I, feel like I never. I, I feel like yeah. How dare you? No, I'm yeah, kidding. I'm okay, so I'm five ten and I weigh like 135 pounds. So okay. I'm a little bit like yeah. So most people who foil are probably a little bit heavier than me, but I think that there are people, there are guys and girls who are around my weight too. Um, yeah, and so yeah. my boards too help with that. I think like I have smaller boards and smaller equipment, which is nice because it does feel like the smaller you go, the more you know, you're riding nothing under your feet, which is cool. Yeah. That 1600 would be a big wing. For, I weigh like about 200 pounds. For sure. 195 pounds. Yeah. That 1600 yeah, yeah, is plenty yeah. of lift for me. Yeah. Um, you know what impresses me about those foils? And I had not tried them. We do, we don't really get real downwind conditions in Florida, but we do these things called shore mm-hmm. runners where the wind blows real hard side shore and you can kind of just cruise the surf line down the beach. And I've always done it on the high aspect wings. And then I took out the 1400 and then the 1600 a few times. I can't mm-hmm. believe how efficient those wings are once you're flying and you have speed. It's they're, they're yeah. almost like hidden secret high aspect wings in a way because they're so low price. There's, there's very little drag. Um, I really like that about them. Yeah, no, it, it's actually amazing. It's when I first made that connection, like you said, the first few times it confused me. Because I was like, yeah, I looked at the shape of the wings and they're very surf shaped oriented for anyone who hasn't seen one, you know, they have the full curve and the 
the profile is very curved and it's very, it's not the high aspect, you know, flat, like rigid shape. Um, but the amount of speed that they can hold and, you know, continue to glide with, it's really impressive. Uh, it makes it a lot easier, I think, too, when you're learning, just because it's like when you're first changing, the high aspect wings are amazing, but they can be a little bit hard to figure out um, for someone who's trying to get into it. So it's really cool for these foils specifically, because I think not only are they easy to use in the surf, but also if you're wanting to progress into the downwinding a bit more, they are an easy transition because you're already used to them and it's not throwing two new things at you kind of it's just throwing like the conditions instead of the foil too so yeah it's amazing that i think we're able to use these foils not only in the surf at such a high level but also downwinding at a high level too do you switch masts for downwinding are you still on the 70 yeah i do so yeah. i yeah the 70 is my go-to surf um foil whenever i'm going out in waves because i think it is fun to use something a bit longer but a lot of the time we go out in shallow conditions and sometimes even the 70 is too long and I'm hitting the bottom all the time. So there are very rare occasions that I use the 80 to paddle in um, the 80 centimeter. But yeah, like I said, the 80 centimeter is my go-to for downwinding and for winging now too. Um, I think just having that little bit more, um, little bit more mast, not only does it help you kind of mo gain momentum and speed, but it also leaves you a little bit of room for error almost. I like to kind of feel, yeah, like, you're going super fast down a bump and you hit a bobble or you know this a bump throws you up a little bit more than expected you have a little bit more time to recover before you go flying through the air um and it's the same for winging i think too it helps you really uh have kind of a safety net for going at fast speeds versus with the 70 if you make one little mistake you're either going to hit the water or you're going to go your foil's going to go flying out of the water so i do use the 80 and i've tried a 90 mast a couple times but i feel like the perfect size for downwinding is the 80 mast. Yeah, I can see that. On on the 1600, I have a hard time with harder turns breaching mm -hmm. on the 70. Yeah. I'm thinking about yeah. thinking about hitting PO up and ordering the uh the 80 at some point for that for that wing. But but then you run into the whole paddling in and in shallower conditions. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um Yeah. How much time are you spending on a surfboard these days? Do you do you still surf competitively? Yeah, well, I think I've never like really competed on a super high level in the surfing. Like I've never followed the QS or I've never, you know, I've never competed. I would love to one day. Um, but yeah, this winter, uh, unfortunately, winter now is like we had, I think, our last winter swell like two weeks ago. It's crazy how long we actually got waves. Um, I can't remember the last time we had solid swells, um, you know, at the very beginning of June. Uh, but yeah, so this winter I surf two, you know, one to two times a day. I'm shortboarding every day, you know, just depending on the conditions, but I surf constantly still. I think it's whatever the conditions allow me to do. I'm out there to, you know, I'm out there with the board that I need, but I surf all the time. The, this, this winter you posted some video of you surfing jaws. Mm -hmm. That was impressive. Like that does, it was insanely huge on whatever you posted. <laughs> it's scary big. <laughs> um, how much time have you been preparing for that? I mean, do you train to surf big waves? What's your training regimen, um, mentally and, um, physically? Definitely. Yeah. Well, I think that, yeah, surfing jaws has been a dream of mine since I was a little girl. Um, I've watched the people I've looked up to surf out there. I just kind of watched it break and, um, it's always been something I've been drawn towards. I think, jaws and being in waves that powerful it's such a raw kind of moment that it's like when nature is at its most powerful almost that that's always been something that's like really blown me away just seeing um seeing a wave have that much power and that much like aggression in one spot uh so I was always drawn to it from a young age and when I was younger you know when I first was like you know one day I'm going to surf jaws the way I would train for it was I would force my friends to paddle the outer reefs of Maui with me which you know, they're big waves, but they're quite a bit smaller. So when we get a Jaws, well, we'd paddle out to outer reefs off the coast of um, Paia and just the North Shore. And um, we train there. And then finally, I had the opportunity last winter was like the first winter I really got to spend every swell out there. I had the opportunity to surf it. And I think um, it's nice because I do do other sports. Those in turn help me a lot for training wise. Um, 
because all of last summer I spent, I was training for M2O and I was training for a lot of flat water stand up paddle races and I was still surfing constantly. Um, all of those really helped me get in really good condition because not only was I paddling and I was running and in the gym and um, I was doing sprints and I was biking and all this stuff. And so I think that really helped me um, kind of get in good shape and stay in good shape. So I was ready for the winter. And then stuff that I really focused on around like in October um, was I did a lot of breath hold work just because I think that helps. It's that's physical a lot, but I think it's also mentally helps you when you do breath hold work because you're telling yourself, you're like, yeah, I can do a four minute breath hold. I got this. I need to like, you know, when you are underwater getting pounded, you can really think back to the point of the, when you were in the pool, which is a completely different, you know, world at that point, but still you can tell yourself, you know, I got this, I can do this. You know, I trained for this. I spent a lot of time doing breath hold work underwater, practicing for these exact situations. And so I did, did about, you know, a lot at the beginning of last winter. And then finally I had the opportunity to go out there and, um, really kind of give it a shot. And for me, this was just kind of an introduction winter because I haven't really, I'd surfed out there once before this year. Um, and so it was really cool to kind of get out there and just to be able to experience sitting in a lineup like that, because for me, it's by far the most competitive lineup I've ever had the chance to like sit in and kind of compete in for waves. Uh, and it was really cool to be out there with the world's best surfers who have, who have looked up for who, you know, the guys I've watched since I was little and the girls I've watched since I was little, um, so it was a really special winter for me to kind of have the opportunity to be out there, especially um, with all these people that I've always, you know, I've always watched. And it was amazing that I was able to get good waves and also take some beatings, which I'm sure you've seen videos of. <laughs> um, talk about the beatings, like and the yeah. self-talk that happens when you're underwater. And I've never been under a wave that big. Um, you know, I can't really imagine what that would be like. Yeah, I think the first time I got my bell rung, like officially, was um, it was actually the Jaws contest. I I had the opportunity of competing in that, which was which was amazing. I think it was one of the best experiences of my life, and um, it was the first heat, and it was windy and bumpy, and I'd never surfed it that big or that windy before. And I think it I'd only huge. been out there like it was it was big. Yeah, it was yeah. it was huge. I'd watched Albie Lair and Jamie Mitchell. I watched Albie almost die. He was like on the back of the ski, like throwing up water. And I was sitting on my ski watching him like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can go out there and do that. If he, when he's, I think my favorite surfer, if he is, you know, having trouble, what am I going to do out there? And so, you know, is I was there a watching moment where you're like, maybe this isn't worth it. Like, I mean, <laughs> I think it's kind of a natural thought to come into your head. I definitely, you know, there was a moment where I was like, you know, what am I doing to myself right now? You know, like, what am I going to get out of this? But I think at the same time, part of me was like, you know, I worked my way up to this and that thought comes into your head, but very quickly it, it just gets kind of thrown out again. And I was just like amped and ready to get out there. And yeah, so I was watching these guys cause they, the guys heats went first. I was watching them just, they were getting amazing rides and just amazing beat downs too. And so, yeah, I was watching that happen and it was, not small it was big it was by far the biggest conditions i had ever um surfed in at jaws let alone anywhere else and i had only surfed out there like four times before this so you know i hadn't experienced it that much um and i still haven't i've only you know i've I've only surfed out there a handful of times it only breaks a handful of times a year and i definitely haven't um and by any means put my time in out there yet this is i'm hoping just the beginning of all of this but yeah so i went out there and i paddled for my first heat and it was super windy Maui glass is a term we use here, which means it's normally it blows like 30 mile an hour uh, trade winds. And it, that's what it was doing that day. So that's what we call Maui glass just because it's never actually glassy here. Um, and so I paddled out and I was trying to figure out the lineup just because it was such a different um, day than I was used to. It was a lot bigger. The lineups were different. I wasn't really sure where to sit. And I was getting impatient, which I think is always a very dangerous thing when you're in big waves. You never want to get impatient, but I really just wanted to get a wave under my belt. And um, I paddled for this kind of West Pole one. And when it breaks more on the West Pole, it's it's pretty weird with the way it breaks. If it's in more of a north direction, it kind of just breaks um, straight coming in. But when it's west, it almost wraps around and comes towards you. And so I paddled for this one wave and the... I stood up and there was an airdrop. The board got like wind got under my board and I made the first drop. And then unfortunately the second um, airdrop I was not ready for. And then I kind of just tomahawked and face planted 
down the face of the wave and then the wave like landed on me like the west bull angle kind of came towards me and landed on my head and so in a way I got barreled at jaws but I was not standing on my board at that point um yeah so that one I think I was I don't know how long I was under whenever you're under you know it could be 10 seconds and it feels like 10 minutes but it was definitely like a building landed on my head um I pulled my vest which is you know the inflation suits we have for the co2 cartridges and I've never been that violently tossed um, before in my entire life. It was like everything like in my head, like I didn't even have time to think at that point. You know, I saw it happening. I pulled my vest and then there was like so much violence, just like I was just being thrashed around that I couldn't even really like wrap my mind around what was happening. And then eventually it settled down. I was still underwater at this point, And I just kind of, you know, got in my place where I was like, you know, I'm here. I'm not in control. Nature's in control right now. I'll come up when I come up right now. All I can do is just um, mentally try and relax myself, try and relax my limbs, my body parts. So I think if you fight it, that's almost worse. I think it takes a lot of energy away from you. And it also, um, it uses oxygen that you really need to kind of, you know, stand or water in one piece. Uh, and so, you know, what felt like 10 minutes, I think it was probably in total like 20, 30 seconds or something finally popped up. Unfortunately, I took the next wave on the head too, which was uh, almost worse than the first wipeout, but I eventually made it to the ski and paddle back out. But I think that was like the first time I was like, really like, wow, like, you know, I, and I got like my bell rung and I was like, that was super serious. And I think probably the most concerning part out of all of it was I came up smiling from the first wipeout because I was like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. I just survived it. And then getting back to the jet ski, I like had like the biggest grin on my face ever, just because it felt like I just survived something that no human should be able to survive. And all I wanted was to paddle back out to the lineup and get another wave. And I think for me, that was when I really knew I was like, wow, like, this is something I want to do. I want to, you know, I want to spend time out here and, you know, as much time as possible whenever this wave breaks. That's insanely cool. Um, (laughs) Is there, is there any, and I feel like this is, I mean, obviously it's never a comfortable situation or necessarily a safe situation. There are things that can make it safer, but Mm -hmm. with the contest going on and the extra eyeballs and the helicopter up in the air and all the jet skis, do you have a sense of maybe a little bit more comfort or safety um, to charge a little harder in that type of environment versus a normal day? I don't know what a normal day is like there, but I assume it's not, there's not quite as much safety happening. Yeah, I think the WSL does a really good job with making sure everyone's safe and there's always someone watching you. I think yes and no, in a way, I put a lot of pressure on myself just because I knew how many people were going to be watching me and how many people were going to be paying attention. So I think that was kind of an added um, added pressure to perform. And in my eyes, I was like, I don't want to go out there and blow it. I don't want to just sit in the channel and not catch a wave and, you know, to wimp out and you know, I think I wasn't out there for anybody but myself, but also in my eyes, I was like, I want to go out there and I want to prove myself. You know, I want to take advantage of the fact that I have this lineup to myself with five other girls, which never happens. And um, so I think there was that added kind of pressure of like, yeah, I want to go out there and uh, prove that I was worthy of being invited to this prestigious event. And then also, yeah, like you said, um, the world's best water safety teams were flown in, you know, and a lot of them live right in Haiku Maui anyway. And so, um, there are so many professional and amazing people on jet skis waiting for you to come up after you get pounded, waiting to pick you up on a ski, waiting to get you on the back of a sled and get you the channel to safety. Um, that I think, yeah, you have to do your part. You have to get yourself to the surface. You have to, you know, keep yourself, um, you know, present and in the moment. And after you get that, they're going to make sure that you're okay. They're going to make sure that you're out of that dangerous zone, which I think is, it's really nice to know. And the beauty of that is actually pretty much no matter what day it is out there, those guys are always going to be out there watching out for you, which is, you know, it's, it's always nice to know. I think, especially though on the contest days, um, there are so many people ready to help, ready to help you get you out of those dangerous situations that it does add a little bit of kind of reassurance to know that there's someone else waiting to help you, not just yourself. You're not on your own out there. Yeah. You just mentioned the mental state that you have to keep yourself in there. And one of the things that I'm constantly um, a student of, and because I'm so addicted to it, it are these flow states. Can you talk mm-hmm. through maybe the difference in your mental states and big wave surfing and, and in foiling and it's one of the things that I think is so addictive about foiling is how focused you have to be 
Um, but just the, just the difference in experiences for you, how, how they how they feel to you. Yeah, well, I mean, you have to be in the moment, I think. And I think that's the beauty of, yeah, why we all love all the water sports we do is you really, you can't be, you know, your mind can't be somewhere else. You have to be so in the moment, so paying attention to exactly what's happening that if you're not, um, you're either going to make a mistake or just, you know, you just can't do it. And so I think that's the beauty of it is when you're there, all your problems kind of melt away and you're just able to be on the water, in the ocean, with friends, by yourself, whatever it is, um, just focusing on enjoying and just, yeah, being where you are, being present. Um, and so I think, yeah, what we're all kind of chasing is that feeling, that like thrill, that rush, the enjoyment of being out there. And I think I get that from all the different sports I do, whether it's flat water paddling or yeah, foiling or big wave surfing. But I think there's kind of a different feeling I get from each of them. Like when I do take off on a big wave and I'm able to make it into the channel, that is just like, it makes you feel invincible in a way, which you are far from out there in those conditions. But it just, you know, it's such a special, unique thing to be able to go out in conditions like that, that are life threatening and that, you know, nature is so in control but you're able to um, survive and make it to the channel and go catch another wave. And that's just such a unique feeling where you're kind of at nature's peak and you're able to thrive in those conditions in a way. And then I think with the foiling too, it's a similar feeling. Um, you're out there and with, yeah, with foiling, especially you're really able to fully utilize what um, the wave is throwing at you, which I feel like with surfing, you're able to do that. Um, but with foiling, you're, you're really like, you're riding the energy of the wave. And I think, yeah, the fact that you can pump back out to the next wave too is amazing. And so I think that's a similar thing. You just get such a rush from being out there and enjoying the experience and whether you get a good wave or you're down one foiling and you, you know, you get a really good glide. It's just, it's such a unique feeling and a unique um, thrill that you get. And, you know, you can't help but smile after it's over. What are your favorite moments in foiling? I think, oh, it's hard. I think there's so many and they're all so unique. Um, for me, just right now, because summer is kind of, you know, slowly setting in here and I've been doing a lot of foil downwinding the past few days, I'd say right now, that's what I've been having the most fun with. Um, our, I think the Maliko run on Maui is one of the best, arguably one of the best um, downwind runs in the world. And I've been doing a, it's like about nine or 10 miles. I think it's 9.3 or something miles to, from Maliko Bay to Kahului Harbor. Um, and you go out and it's, it's amazing. It feels like you're surfing a standing wave and the past few days have been really good. And you know, there's like head high bumps coming through and you're just endlessly carving and surfing through these bumps. So probably in this moment, it constantly changes whether, you know, my favorite feeling is from surfing a wave or winging and jumping. But I think right now I'd have to say it's from the downwind foiling just because it's such a freeing feeling being out there on the open ocean with a paddle in your hand and a board under your feet. And you're just, you're able to, go, you know, and fly so fast through the water. Um, it's really special, I think, for sure. It, it looks insanely fun. And I always, when, when you guys post the videos, I'm always checking out what wings y'all are riding. Is mm -hmm. Cody and, and Kai, are they downwinding on just the stock MFC stuff? Or are y'all testing the, the new high aspect wings that I hear rumors about from MFC? Or what's going on with that? Yeah, so I think... Um, we go back and forth quite a bit, actually. There's never just one foil that we always use. We're constantly changing. Um, last year, when Kai, Cody, and I, we spent a lot of time together training for M2O, um, kind of in all of July and beginning of June. Uh, we were all training on the 1400, and then Cody and I competed on the 14 with the 1400 MFC wing. Um, he was on the black shim, and I was on the white shim. Um, and then I think Kai, Kai used some crazy high aspect wing, and then. Um, the past few months, we I've been using the 1400 a little bit on and off, and they have too, but we've been testing a lot of kind of, yeah, new high aspect stuff, which is super exciting. And I think it's been really fun because I used the, I've used a couple high aspect wings before um, the beginning of kind of this year, but um, it's been really cool to test and experiment with some different sizes in the past couple of months. I think it just really opens up how yeah much improvement there is and how much room for kind of evolution and it's going to be really interesting to see where the downwind foiling goes um yeah we've been testing some high aspect wings with mfc and just some um other stuff and it's just really cool to be able to like 
um, play with back wings and front wings and just see how much of a difference that stuff really makes. And even not even with MFC, but other brands too. I've tried a couple other high aspect wings from whether it's signature or slingshot or any of that stuff. It's really cool to kind of be able to test all those different styles and see exactly how much they play in the bumps and how much faster you can be and whether or not it's user or it's equipment, because I think that's also, yeah, like I said earlier, it's a question. It's whether it is going to be person riding the foil who's fast or whether it's going to be the foil itself that's going to get you to that next level. How much is it foil and how much is it person? Um, I think it depends. Uh, I know last year, I'm sure you heard about what happened with M2O, which was um, Kai was on a slower foil or not slower necessarily, but Jeffrey was smoking Kai all the way to the end. And Kai kind of the very end got him through sheer willpower pretty much at that point. He pumped through the flats. That was all physical. Um, and Jeffrey, unfortunately, came down. And, you know, I think he kind of lost the momentum with his foil. So I think in that sense, it was more physical over foil. Um, but I think there's different situations in every in every instance. Um, I think it's kind of half and half, but it also really depends on the equipment you're on, too. If anybody wants to hear that story, Jeffrey does a great job of recapping it on um, the podcast, uh, probably five or six months ago. It's a great story. Yeah, I feel it a definitely bit heartbroken is. for him. <laughs> yeah, no, I was heartbroken when I got to the beach and I heard that happen because I was, I think I was like four, I finished like 45 minutes behind him maybe, but I, I heard that. I was like, Jeffrey, what have you done? What did you do? You were so close. And, you know, of course I was so happy that Kai, Kai did it again. They were, they're two of my really good friends. So I'm, I'm never rooting for one of them over the other, but the way that it happened was just so crushing how close he was. And, you know, I guess, yeah, the mind wins and yeah, but I'm, I'm hoping they'll get a redo and they can, you know, battle it out once again, sooner than later. In testing gear, what has been the biggest surprise to you? You said there were some things that felt a lot different than others. Has, has there been any big surprises in something that you thought would work incredibly well and didn't, or that you didn't think would work well and it did, or a different feel? Oh, I think the thing, I've, I mean, this is like a little bit of a smaller thing I've realized, but in the past few weeks is I've, yeah, I've tried a couple of different brands and just realizing how important the flexiness of your foil is, or like the non-flexiness of your foil. Um, some of the wings I've been using recently and the masks especially too are so flexy that it actually kind of affects negatively um, the amount of pumping you're able to do. And it's mm -hmm. weird. There's almost like a delayed effect when you do have a little bit flexier mask that takes a lot more power kind of. It's not quite all your energy isn't going straight into the pump. It's kind of, you know, getting mixed up in the fact that your foil is really flexy. And I've tried a couple of different brands and realized that, yeah, when you do have a stiffer foil and a stiffer mast, it's really able to um, not only does it save you a lot of energy, but it makes it a lot easier to predict what the foil is going to do. So I think that's one thing that I've really realized is like how important it is to make sure your equipment is super stiff and is kind of made with the best material, which is hard because it's really, you know, it's tricky to figure out material that's going to be light and stiff and it's not going to break. And it's also semi-affordable, you know, as affordable as foiling is. So that's something that I've really realized. And then, you know, of course, wing shapes coming into play and all of that stuff. It's all really, you know, all that stuff is so sensitive. You make one little change and the entire thing feels completely different in a way. What about boards? Um, I'm a big believer in very, very stiff boards and stringers mm -hmm. and things like that, even at the cost of a little bit of weight. Um, what have you, what, what evolution have you experienced in, in boards and what are you liking both in surfing and in downwinding? Yeah, definitely. No, it's, it's interesting. I think some people say like, yeah, boards don't matter or whatever, you know, you get up on the foil and you're not going to use them. But for me, I kind of not in a way I don't disagree, but I think that boards actually play a really big part. And you know, first of all, the enjoyment of the whole thing, and then also, yeah, the amount of progression you're able to make, and then also just the you know, yeah, the ease of doing it. And and since we're talking about downwinding right now, the downwind board that I have, it's 65 liters, um, five seven, maybe like 22 and three fourths wide, I I believe. Um, Is this the KT that's in your last video? Yeah. It's made, yeah, made by KT Surfing. Um, Keith is amazing. He shapes all of Kai's boards, all of Jeffrey's boards, all of Cody's boards, Finn's boards. Um, he really, he kind of supplies all of the North Shore downwinding people, which is cool. We all kind of get to work together and shape new, new ideas. Um, 
So yeah, he's been coming up with some really innovative designs recently where there's like double concave on the bottom and some really trippy tails. And it's really cool to be able to work with that kind of, you know, be able to talk to Keith about it and be able to see what everyone comes up with. And I think those ideas are really based off of the fact that when you are, it's a foreign feeling for most people, but when you are trying to get up, you know, get the foil up off of the water when you're downwinding, you know, you need to be able to pump up on a small bump. And I think some of the boards that people use, they almost suction to the water in a way. And so I think Keith has been spending a lot of time finding ways to really help the board give you a little extra boost and a little extra pop off the water. And we've been finding that with some of these different board shapes that we've been experimenting with. And, and then also, yeah, a big thing that comes into play is weight and stiffness and all that stuff. And so I think it depends on the level you want to take it to. For me, I got a board made that's pretty much all carbon. Um, the weight of it is incredible, and it's actually really stiff too, which is awesome. Um, Do you know what it, it does? I don't know exactly what it weighs. I know Keith does. I don't remember right now, but it is, it's amazingly light, especially compared to the last board I had, which was actually quite a bit less volume. It was 55 liters instead of 65, but it's still lighter than the board that I had. Um, and so it does make a big difference to be on something that feels a little bit lighter and that feels kind of more like you're more in control under um, of what's under your feet. And then, and the surfing aspect and the winging aspect, I use the same board with and without push straps. I just take them off depending on the conditions. Um, that board's about four, three, I believe 23 liters. Um, I don't know any of the other dimensions, unfortunately, but I think, Sometimes for a while, people were going really, really small to the point that it was like, you know, the boards were sinking up to your chest when you were using them and people also still go big. But for me, I've kind of found like my perfect size is just a little bit smaller than my shortboard shortboard, um, like my normal surf shortboard, just because the foil does also offer a little bit of buoyancy under the board. Um, so that's kind of my go-to size. I think it's perfect. It's easy to paddle into waves. You don't really suffer when you're getting into smaller waves. You can still paddle in them, but at the same time, it's still small enough that you're, you know, you can easily maneuver it. You can easily control it. Um, and yeah, that's kind of, those have been my go-to sizes right now. Uh, but I'm getting excited to kind of experiment with some different lengths and shapes to um, the summer too. What about foil placement? What kind of weighting do you like? Um, you know, like if you look at like an Adam Bennett's foil, he likes mm -hmm. to foil with his back foot a little bit behind the mast, a little bit more like a shortboard. If you look at like a cane, he's generally in front of the mast. How, do you think about that? For sure. Yeah. yeah. I think every time I go, I like to kind of shift it a little bit um, just to kind of see how it feels and experiment a little bit more based off the conditions, the foil and the board. But yeah, I think a lot of it is based off of the board and the foil itself. Cause I found with using the same board to downwind um, and to surf foil, I have, you know, I have those two and then putting different foils on them. It's really amazing to feel just how, um, much foils affect where you need to put the foil on the board. I think with the MFC ones with like the hydros, um, I tend to have those in the middle of the box. And I actually like to have my foot pretty centered over the, um, pretty centered over the foil, maybe a little bit, um, in front of it actually, mm -hmm. but that's just the way I prefer to pump. And then also, but when I have been putting a few of the high aspect ones on there, I've been putting my foot actually far behind the foil instead of in front of it where I usually do. So yeah, it's interesting to experiment with that. I I think it depends a lot on the foil you're using and the brand you're using too. Um, but for me, I usually prefer to have mine. I have my front foot a little bit before because I think I like a little bit of a narrower stance. It's just I'm kind of more comfortable with that versus like my legs super spread out. Um, and so having my front foot a little bit more far forward and having that back foot kind of closer to it really helps me get in a more comfortable position for pumping and turning. Right on. Do you think that foiling has been a help to surfing? Has it hurt your surfing? I think, I think it definitely has helped my surfing. I think it's funny. I think the biggest thing for me when I was first learning was paddling with a foil under your board is such a foreign feeling at first. And then going back to a shortboard, I'm sure you experienced oh, this. Yeah. It's really, it's funny how wild, like I found myself going to shortboard out at my home break Coquipa and I'm like falling off my surfboard <laughs> for the first few minutes. I'm like, what is going on? And I realized that I went foiling yesterday. It's wild. So that's something in a way that like, it always tripped me out. I've, I've gotten used to it now and it doesn't really affect me anymore. But the first few times I was like, why can't I paddle on my shortboard? What am I doing wrong? Um, and then I think 
if you think about it, like foiling, you want to be pretty front footed. Um, you want to have your weight forward. So, you know, you don't get launched off the foil and then surfing, you want to be pretty back footed, especially when you're bottom turning and you're pumping and stuff. And I think that kind of those two things contradict themselves, but in a way, I think they're so different that not the foiling hasn't really negative, like negatively affected my, um, surfing and if anything, my legs are a lot stronger and I think my conditioning is a lot better. So when I am getting pounded in the waves or I am pumping down a wave, um, my legs are so used to being in that position for so long. Cause you know, when you're surfing, you're, you surf for, you know, an hour, hour and a half, and you're maybe on a wave for a minute 30 of that two minutes, if you're lucky, which is wild versus foiling when you're downwinding or you're surf foiling, you're pumping around so much. Your legs are just in that surf position so much that I think it really kind of helps train your brain to know exactly what position to get into when you pop up on your surfboard too. So I think for me, it can in a way when you're first learning, make your surfing feel super weird. But I think in the long run for me, it's actually helped kind of just train my mind into getting into that surf position when I pop up on my board. That makes sense. I'm, I have not gone back. I'm going to do it soon here, but I have not yet gone back and dedicated myself. I think I'm going to do like a month, a solid month of shortboarding at some point because right now yeah. I hop on a shortboard. I can't even do a bottom turn. I mean, it's gotten <laughs> bad. I can go down the line. I can like hit sections coming at me, but anything yeah. that involves rail work, it's just, it's all wrong. Yeah. Um, well, it's wild because it's like when you're on a foil, the last thing you want to do is have your rail in the water versus surfing. That's all you want. You want to, you know, you want to drive the rail on the wave. So, that is one thing that, yeah, like you're saying, it's a trippy feeling to get used to again. Um, so you're 18 years old right now? Yeah. What are the next five years? What are your goals? What do you want to do? Yeah, so I think I have a lot of goals in kind of a lot of different sports. Um, right now, for me, I think if you asked me, you're like, choose one sport, I could, I wouldn't be able to choose a sport. And so um, I kind of want to pursue the water woman aspect. I think. Um, in a way, I think it's kind of the age of the water woman right now because, you know, there's Kai and, you know, he had so many good friends growing up that were just amazing watermen. And there's still, you know, there are so many out there. I think right now there's a lot of water women right now that are really evolving all their skills. And, you know, me included that are really getting to the point where, you know, we're thriving in multiple different sports. And so for me, that's kind of my goal over the next one or two years is to really make myself the best water woman I can be you know that's why I would love to figure out kiting and windsurfing if I can just so um I kind of have every water sport under my belt if that's possible so that's kind of my goal and then um in specific sports in those aspects like with the foiling I would love to I mean specifically I'd love to beat my m2o time um, I'd love to get it under three hours. I'd love to, you know, get it under two hours and 50 minutes. If that's possible, that would be amazing. Um, I want to still help progress foiling in every way possible and the big wave scene, which I think the foiling and the big waves are, you know, it's what I'm most excited about right now. I would love to win the jaws contest. Um, I'd love to get barreled out at jaws, all this stuff and, um, kind of out of the physical aspect of, um, you know, kind of using the ocean for a job i'd also love to promote kind of helping the ocean and keeping it clean and the environment and all that stuff and i think um there's so much plastic and so much stuff that happens that a lot of people don't even know about what goes into the ocean and i'd love to kind of return the favor because it's given me so much in my life and it makes me so happy to spend every day in it that i'd love to protect it in a way um in that sense and so yeah over the next five years i think i'd love to work on becoming the best female, you know, water person. I'd love to be the best water woman um, I can be and hopefully just out there and yeah, just to kind of inspire people along the way. I love that. And you know what, you just mentioned giving back to the ocean. And I think that's another commonality that folks from Maui share. I mean, I'm friends with Zane Schweitzer mm -hmm. and, you know, Zane is yeah, such a best. role model in that regard. He's always doing something incredible. It always makes me feel bad. I'm always picking up trash, thinking about Zane picking up trash whenever <laughs> walking down yeah. the beach. I know. I always see the videos of him like digging ropes out of yeah. like the beach in the sand. I'm like, you are amazing. That's so incredible. That's epic. Yeah. Um, well, this is cool. This has been a great chat. I hope I hope that you'll come back on again at some point in the future um, as, you know, your career unfolds and foiling unfolds and all of that. And, and what do you want to leave folks with? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, 
no one wants to listen to me talk anymore, I'm sure. But um, <laughs> keep talking. Yeah. No, this is great. Thank we you. got plenty of time. Thank you so much for having me on here. Um, yeah, anybody listening, hopefully you guys can get on the water at some point today and have fun. And um, yeah, thank you so much. This has been amazing to talk. It's awesome to be able to connect with people from all over different parts of the world and um, America too. <laughs> awesome. And how do folks find you? What can they do to support you right now? Um, um, yeah, that. I'm on Instagram. My Instagram is Annie Star two underscore two R's. My middle name is Star. Uh, so that's how I came up with that username. Um, and then, yeah, uh, I have videos on YouTube. I'm sure if you Google me, you can find some other stuff and just keep up with my journey and kind of, you know, my plans for the next few years. If you guys are interested in that. Epic. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Annie. And I cannot wait to watch your career unfold. I'm sure it's going to be epic. Thank you so much, Eric. It was awesome talking with you. Thank you.